Hey guys, welcome back to my podcast, You Don't Have The Range. I'm your host, Sincerely Owosa, and today we are discussing something I definitely do not have the range for. I'm joined by the amazing Leando. Um, she is a bipolar panelist for Bipolar UK. She's also been featured in amazing publications like Cosmopolitan UK, and she also has an amazing YouTube channel where she discusses mental health and bipolar disorder and just helps to raise awareness for bipolar disorder in the UK. How are you doing, my love? Hey, I'm fine. Thank you so much, Yoosha. That was an amazing intro. You're welcome. We haven't spoken in like so long. I think the last time I saw you was like 2018, 2017. It must have been, yeah, maybe 2018. Oh, that that's a long time. <laughs> Absolutely crazy. Um, I just feel like it's just been an amazing. It's just been a crazy year. Like I just. Well, not even just this year, but also 2020 as well. Like, Mm -hmm. just the ups and the downs. How have you been coping with, like, just the pandemic that has been pandemicking? Oh, my gosh. I've just been hanging on until (laughs) clear. (laughs) Because it's just been, I feel like 2020 was the year of expect the unexpected. Yeah. Everything that you wouldn't expect happened. Yeah, literally. (laughs) literally. Imagine everything whether it was like you know illness around in my family things like that in a pandemic it was just it's compounded but I'd say I've kept working so I think that's been my saving grace I think because it's kind of kept me in a routine yeah so that has been really good but yeah I I can't wait to see the end of this yeah same a hundred percent so um okay so you said you've, you've kept yourself working and stuff so how's that going like in terms of like your mental health and everything going on this year, has it helped you like a distraction or is it just also stressful? It, it was a distraction for a while up until a point. Mm. Um, and then in the last, I'd say three months, I went part-time because okay. I, was, I was so stressful. Okay. And yeah. <laughs> I, I really love that. I love the like, the self-care aspect of that of, of recognizing like you know what this is actually not working for me because I feel like so many people like they stay in situations that aren't fully working for them but um I really wanted to talk I know you've discussed it before but obviously like some some people may not know your journey your mental health journey um so I really wanted to know and wanted you to like talk to our listeners about how you discovered that you had um BP and like just the process and everything that I know it may be a long story but like the process of of how you found out oh wow okay so I'm probably going to tell this story back to front because it was from them in 2014 I was sectioned yeah yeah and you know And, and like in terms of like being sectioned, like for people yeah. who don't know, what what goes into that? Oh, uh, so I was whisked away from my home with mm. by police um, after the mental health, I guess, carers called called them. Mm. Um, so I I'd, I'd progressively become unwell for maybe like a week, I'd say. And when you say unwell, what what do you mean? So <laughs> I had, I stopped sleeping. Mm. I literally had no desire or need for it. And I just, I was very elated in my mood. I was very elevated and had all these great ideas about myself. 
and the world and not necessarily good things. I just felt it, it was like a mix of things. So on one hand, I felt elevated. I felt like I was staying up all night studying on this um, online marketing course or something. <laughs> and then suddenly something clicked and I felt like, oh my God, yes, I'm successful now. I'm like this millionaire. I don't know why. I just believed all those things. I had these very strange beliefs. And it just kind of progressed and evolved into something scarier. I started thinking the world was ending, that it was now um, Judgment Day or something, or the rapture, actually. I remember that particular because there was news events that were happening and I felt were very personal to me, um, such as at the time, I think the Malaysian airlines went missing. So in my head, in that state, I believed that that was a rapture. People were starting to disappear from the world. Um, but I just kept going on and on and on. Mm. And my mum was the first person to kind of be like, we need to call someone. Um, she's not okay. And I think, I remember my dad heard me talking to myself in the shower or something. <laughs> and he was like, are you okay? I was like, yeah, I'm fine. And I'll just carry on. And then my dad was like, no, no, she's fine. She's okay. Because, like, when they, they would interrupt me, I would, I would conversate. It was mm. fine. Yeah. And then I carried on. And it got to where I wasn't sleeping. I didn't sleep three days straight. Because wow. I was just so high and elevated. I remember my parents said they, they sat in the living room watching me speak. And they just went to bed. Because they were like, she's just standing there talking. And then um, they... They called the hospital They and they first initially told my parents to treat me at home. They were like, okay, she's not sleeping. Give her sleeping pills. She'll be fine. So my mom collected those and, and came to give me those pills. And I started to grow paranoid at the time. There was a lot of things happening in the context of my being unwell. So I had a traumatic event in where I was sexually assaulted about two years prior oh to that episode yeah. and I was in the process of like dealing with the police as well at the time yeah. which was handled so badly yeah. by the police and then something I think what triggered that episode was the police came to my door saying they were looking for my brother and they wanted to search his room or something like that that's when I the paranoia just kicked in I believe they were watching me they were trying to spy on my family and then I went upstairs I, I was listening to the radio and I heard like a like a news reporter say a man in Kent has been arrested for two counts of sexual assault da, 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 da. so I was just like oh my god mom they've caught the guy like blah 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 and then my mom's like what are you talking about so I went on google to try and find the story mm. thinking must be on google or something on, on Kent like police or whatever mm. and it wasn't there so yeah my mom was thinking okay what's going on so that's what I like I have to tell that story to get to where I'm yeah, like you know to, to get people give people context and understand where it came from so um I'm already very paranoid my mom comes to give me the pills and I'm like no you're trying to kill me like <laughs> she's now I don't know if I felt she was part of it I don't know mm. like, like a, I think I, from what I understand I depersonalized my mom she just yes. wasn't mom anymore yes. yeah and 
yeah, just grew, grew more, more angry, more vindictive. I started believing things about um, slavery and all these things. Um, at the time, I was never that person that really was into like black power and all this stuff. But that mania, I re- like, I felt hurt. <laughs> like, I felt. Did you feel hurt like by by the systems of whiteness? Like you're talking about the, like the police and stuff. Yes, yes, all of that. Yeah, I was literally like. I felt like they were evil, like white people and all these things. Mm. I have to say that, but yeah, at the time, how you felt at the time? Yeah, and I felt like they were witches. <laughs> like the people I worked with, all these people, people mm. at my church. Because so I live in an area that's predominantly white, so I was just kind of like everyone, like they're all trying to kill us. Like, mum, dad, can you not see that? <laughs> like. We're the only black family here. Then I believed that we were the black royal family. And like all this time, people were trying to kill us, but God was protecting me. And I was kind of hearing from God in a way, not in a voice, but I felt like he was giving me messages through the radio, through the TV, through things like that. So I remember I had loads of notebooks. I was writing things down. I just couldn't stop writing. And that was the only way to calm myself down because my mind was racing so fast. And I went on on social media. I went on Facebook. I was typing things as well. And then people started noticing and like messaging, are you okay? What's going on? People were ringing my house phone. And then my parents, that's when they got really alarmed about it. You know what? What worries me, sorry to interrupt, what worries me is the fact that like, the NHS were just like, you know what, just give her sleeping pills. As if like, <laughs> oh, that. it's just sleep. And, and your parents clearly were paying a lot of attention to what you were going through. So it, so I'm sure that they must have explained to the NHS, okay, these are the symptoms we're seeing. And for them yeah. to just dismiss it as, oh, it's just sleeplessness. Yeah. It goes back to how, how they just continuously misdiagnose black people. Can yeah. You- continue like not taking our our symptoms seriously but yes continue yeah it's like nobody listened for three days I was in that condition um and then we had two sets of mental health workers visit so the first set came they saw me in my room I I remember I I had this habit where I wouldn't leave my room I had this particular spot on my bed I'll just stay there all day and they're like oh are you okay is this your safe place I was like yes (laughs) this is like where I come to and I feel safe like I stay here and um I remember I was also messaging the person that assaulted me at the time and I was saying he, he was replying to me I was saying that he was messaging back and stuff and they took my phone they're like he's not replying like yeah no this could be harassment like can you stop <laughs> and I was like yes he is he is but I was very convinced he was and mm. um, so they kind of shrugged and were just kind of like she just needs sleep they physically came saw me and they were like she just needs some sleep just get her to sleep just give her more give her more sleeping pills it didn't work it did nothing I don't remember it doing anything for me and then the next day another set of workers came and they again saw me didn't think I was a cause not cause for concern but they weren't alarmed at all because like I said, sometimes I could conversate with you, but at the same but time... I'm not going to lie, they're actual mental health workers. They should be able yeah. to pick up on the signs that someone is going through something. It really shocked me because it was like, it was the whole thing felt like it was the first time they'd ever encountered this. Wow. Like, 
the way they were behaving. So a lady and gentleman came in and and they saw me, spoke to me. And as they were leaving, it just happened. I'm grateful for this. I know it's mad. But as they were leaving, in my head, I started believing that um, my life was staged. And I don't know if you've watched the Truman Show, where everything is staged and everyone's an actor, whether it's the postman, whether it's whatever. So I said, look at this, guys. I'm, like, I believe that my life has been broadcast. <laughs> like so I said, you know, look at this, guys. I'm going to get a knife from the kitchen and I'm going to walk outside and the police are going to show up. That's what I think in my head. You're not wrong. They probably would. <laughs> they would, right? But in my head, I'm like, look, this is proof that I'm being watched. Okay, okay. <laughs> I to say. I so I got the largest knife from my kitchen and I went outside. So the mental health workers saw me coming out with a knife, waving a knife. So what do they think? They, they didn't know what I was doing. They ran in their cars. And then my dad came out. And they were like, no, go back inside, like shouting at my dad to get back in the house. And my dad's like, no, that's my daughter, like whatever. Like, and he grabbed me from the back behind and grabbed the knife like off me. So he's holding me with me holding the knife. And then that's when they come out of the car to try and come and help. And as they're doing that, I'm like, oh my God, dad, they're gonna kill me. Like, I believe that they're literally gonna kill me. Mm. <laughs> um, they pulled me into the house and like my dad is still holding me they're taking the knife off me and they're like sitting down trying to calm me down like okay yeah and then I'm still paranoid I'm still saying all these things like accusing mm. this woman it's, it's not funny but I was like you're having an affair with my dad <laughs> oh, no. it's, it's at this point thing. it's not even you though it's not even yeah, you it's not me it's not me and the, mad, the thing that was mad is she was responding to it that's what made it worse. Because she was like, oh, no, 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 I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> it's the imitation. It's the white voice for me. <laughs> oh, no, <laughs> so, yeah. So I'm just like, I'm, I'm starting to believe more. Like, yes, you look guilty. Yes, you do. She's literally like, no, I have two boys. I have two kids. <laughs> She's telling you her whole life story. We are whole life story. So it's in my head. Just validating what I think. Because um, I think if you can come collect like, no, like, what are you talking about? I may have re-validated re- re- I don't know. So anyway, that's when I was waiting for a while and I see two policemen walk into the house. Um, and I don't know why. In my head, I thought, because they came in so nice. They were just very smiley, just walked in the living room and were like, oh, hi, like, what's going on here? And I was just like, oh, I know who that is. That's my brother in disguise. <laughs> I don't even know why. I was like, he's in disguise. Because I believed I was going to get kidnapped as well. So I, I believed, like, I don't know why. I believed I was going to die. I believed I was going to get kidnapped. I was like, this is all part of the plan, right? I'm supposed to go away. I'm supposed to, like, I'm supposed to go away. So I literally went up to them and gave them my wrist, like, I'm going. And they gently put like cuffs on me and and they put me in the back of a police car. And I remember like, it wasn't, I don't think there was much of like a struggle between me and the police, but um, 
And I remember them like, because I, I, I was doing all kinds of things. I was singing and they were like, oh, she can sing. <laughs> At this point, they're still not taking things seriously. But I think they were trying to be as pleasant as possible. Like they, okay. my, dad, my dad tells me in hindsight, like, they, the police were watching me. They didn't want to touch me. Mm. Like, they didn't want to. They were like, oh, we're scared. Like, if we do anything, like, then, I don't know, we'll mm. just be bad yeah. if we do anything in a situation. Mm. So they literally watched me for a long time. And then that's when I went up to them and was like, yeah. And I was like, yeah, I remember that. I remember there was no struggle. There was no hostility, nothing. I didn't feel threatened. In fact, I felt safe when I saw them. Because like I said, I believed, oh, that's my brother, <laughs> in my head. And then, so I sat in the back of the car and then I could see my mum and dad following in the back, in their car. We got, And then we're driving for ages and ages and ages. Finally get to the hospital, the, oh, the doors open. I don't know what, I think I just started wiling out. <laughs> I came out, I just started kicking off. Um, I remember, no, because as I was in the, uh, am I like, mum? Jumping all over the place. So, no, as I was in, I'm listening. I just know you're doing amazing. Continue. Thanks. So, as I was in the back of the police van, I remember the handcuffs were getting mm. tighter. So, mm. if you move, if you struggle, they they tighten. Mm. And in my paranoid state, I believed whatever evil force there was was hurting me. So I'm mm. like, stop hurting me! Like you're hurting me! You're hurting me! Mm. And then when I opened the doors, like literally, I don't know, I was just going off. I can't remember these nurses came out and they were like, what's going on? Like, they all looked scared. Like, they'd never dealt with somebody who was not well mentally. They were just like, what's going on? What's happening? And then I remember them taking me to this room and it had a sign that said calming room okay. on it. And I walked in and there was a massive beanbag in the middle okay. and loads of chairs around. And I sat down and two nurses came. One sat on one side. Um, arm of each arm of mine each side of me sorry and um they just linked arms with me and were holding me mm. and and then like my parents I think tried to come in like my mum was coming in but when she'd come in I would like kick off again um and then the policeman came and he was like no don't do that and I'll calm down I don't know why but I'd calm down when the policeman was there and then I remember then someone coming in with a syringe, like a bowl of like syringe and stuff. Mm. Walked in there and then they mm. laid me on the beanbag. Mm. And then I blacked out. I don't remember anything. Oh. I blacked out for like, yeah. <laughs> wow. And when, like, when you woke up, where did you find that you were, like, where, do, where did you find yourself? I think the first time I, I woke up, I was in the bath, like this big bath, like, it's kind of, I think it's for people that have, like, like can't walk if you're paralyzed. Like, mm-hmm. one of the, and the nurse was like bathing me. Wow. Yeah. How were you feeling mentally at that time? Did you feel calm because you're in the bath or did you feel st- scared or? I felt nothing, but I just felt like drowsy. Like, I was okay. just. Coming the drugs. So, yeah, so coming out of sleep, kind of clocking around what's happening and now I got scared a little bit because I'm like can I walk like why am I in a tub mm. why is he watching me yeah, like of course like that was happening but then I could move my legs I was like okay mm. I'm fine but I was just like a zombie not a zombie but I was out of it yeah it was a very slow come round mm. 
I came out, got dressed, um, and I remember walking around and everyone had these blue, like, plastic slippers mm-hmm. or styrene <laughs> that they were giving out for free at the hospital, I guess. Mm-hmm. that didn't have any shoes. And, mm-hmm. yeah, so I was wearing, I had no shoes, so I used those. And then I saw this, the room saying calming room and I was kind of cooking. I'm in hospital. Mm-hmm. I'm in hospital, aren't I? And then I had my phone and I was thinking, oh, and I took a picture. I was like, should I put this on Instagram? Because <laughs> I kept posting things. So I was thinking, at should this I post- point, At this point, had they actually sat you down to be diagnosed? Because obviously from what, no. from the little I understand about um, the bipolar disorder is that obviously what you, you're describing sounds like the state of mania. Basically, yeah. It was so, mania so, with diagnosis. Okay, so... At, at, at the point where you wake up, what state would you have said that you're in? Because obviously you're calm, but also you're still you're still acting like your mind is kind of encouraging you to act irrationally. Yeah, um, I'm sedated, definitely. Yeah, yeah. But I'm my mind is going at maybe a thousand miles <laughs> per mm. hour. Yeah, so I'm not really like I haven't grasped reality yet mm. at all. And it took about two weeks for you to be diagnosed. Like no, to realize where I was. Like wow. And then and remember, start remembering things. Like I didn't for two weeks. I don't know what happened in that space of time. Basically, yeah. And then I remember I wasn't diagnosed, but I remember the confirmation that I was in the hospital was breakfast time came, and I think I started coming round and understanding the routine. Like would wake up for breakfast and would have to sit down and wait for it to come. But in my head, I'll go up to the kitchen, like trying to serve myself. Mm. And I'm like, I'm going sit down, like we'll give you your food. Mm-hmm. So I remember, yeah, getting used to that routine, sitting down. And someone dropped an envelope. I don't know who they were. They didn't say a word to me. They dropped an envelope on my table with my name. So I'm like, okay. So I open it. And it's like, Leander, Malawa, blah, blah, blah. You've been sectioned under section two. Do you wish to appeal? So I'm like, yes, I'm going to appeal this. <laughs> like, what is going on? So, um, the so what were your mum and dad doing at this point? They were, they would visit me like every day. They'll try mm-hmm. to, but the hospital nurses would stop them. Like, you think, do you think it was, it was, it, um, seeing them was triggering you? I'd say seeing. You said, like, my, when you're in the calming room yeah. and you but saw yeah, your mum, like it made you kick uh, off. Yeah, me and my mum, like this is, another sign of that I was getting better was because every time my mum would come I'd kick off I'd get triggered then when my dad would it was fine like mm. my dad's the only person I, I recognized in that time I knew it was him yeah. and he could talk to me and I'd be like yeah I can listen yeah but it with my mum no like it was always a problem mm. that was the reason I guess but I remember my parents complaining that the nurse was rude wouldn't let them come she probably would yeah wow. <laughs> I remember vividly actually I do <laughs> um, so what what led to you actually finally being diagnosed like why did it take so long I just can't I can't believe that so we had this black psychiatrist okay grace right okay on the ward he never works in that ward he was just covering okay and he knows my dad as well oh, wow it was a friend of the family, so actually, I don't. I just feel like God knew what was going on because mm. 
um, I wasn't eating or drinking the first, mm. the first couple of times I was there. I mean, first yeah. couple of days, because I was still paranoid. So I was like, I'm not eating, I'm not drinking. My dad was apparently sending water to my room. So there was piles of water in my room and I was pouring it down the sink. Nah, I'm not drinking it, I'm not drinking it. So then this black psychiatrist comes and he's noticed I'm not drinking. My tongue had dried up. Like, it was dr- like, wow. I don't know how long I had had gone without food or water. Mm. And he was like, he, he looked at me, he goes, um, I think he said, like, you're not eating, you're not drinking. Came back and he bought me from the, like, ca- canteen um, food supplement and a drink. Yeah. For some reason, I took it. And I, I, that's the first thing I drank. Yeah. That's the first time I started being receptive. Yeah. To and it was just that kindness that he actually took money out of his pocket, got me a, <laughs> a drink. Yeah. I started being then receptive. So every time he'd come in and then he'd, he'd then not interview. Do you think me. it was also, do you think it, his race had, and this is just me question. Do you think his race yeah. had something to do with you being able to trust him as a medical professional in, in, in that state that you were in? I think I don't know. Mm. I I can't say for sure. I'm literally just asking. Like this is. No, just- no, I, I do wonder that, and people do ask me that. Like, you know, would it have made a difference if I had the you know black psychiatrist in that time to support mm. me? But no, I feel like at the state, no, I didn't see. I did. I don't want to say I didn't see color, but I didn't see it that way. Mm. Kindness. That's what I saw. Yeah, because it was a black nurse. That I did not get on with. Fair we enough. fought. <laughs> <laughs> we fought. <laughs> okay. So then that's why I never I'm I'm never sure with that. Um but he would then, as a psychiatrist, would interview me or see me and he would ask me questions, how am I doing stuff like that? So one day I'll be telling him, you know, I'm the queen of the universe, <laughs> I'm his universe, all these things, grandiose things, and then some days I'll come in low. Oh no, I can't speak, this and that. So he said, you know what? You're rapid cycling. You've got bipolar. And he was the first one to say it to me, but nobody else kind of still took that on board. Yeah. And he like, was covering, you know. It's like yeah, he was proper work there. Yeah, he was covering. Wow. Okay, so so what are the following steps after that? Yeah, he asked, that's true. He noticed it straight away. Like, what took everyone else so long? No, I've never thought about that. Girl, so it's, that's really sad. So, mm-hmm. like, what were your steps to recovery in terms of, okay, now you know what is the issue. What yeah. were your steps after that? Um. So the steps after that, I just stayed with the mental health team. Um, the amazing thing they have is, in this area, not apparently it's not available everywhere else. It's something called early intervention team. So they will take you, like when you get re- released and you go home, they will visit you maybe like every day of the week. And then it goes less and less progressively as you get better. So that helped that transition. Um, so they kept me on my medication Mm. Made sure I, you know, kept to my appointments or drive me to my appointments if I needed and helped me apply for my benefits. I was on employment support. Everything I needed to do step by step, they helped guide me on that. Like, and then they assigned me a psychotherapist. 
once I was ready to <laughs> speak to someone. Yeah. And I felt that was the best coupling. So the medication and the psychotherapist at the same time really helped. Um, but the thing is, with psychotherapists, most of them don't believe in medication. They just kind of think... She, she, what she said to me is, I don't think you have bipolar. I think you went through a very stressful time. <laughs> but you, you see yourself as having bipolar. Oh, yeah, definitely. Because... People can go through things and not lose their minds. Like, hold on, can we can we backtrack? Backtrack. The psychotherapist who said yeah. that you don't have bipolar. Where, yeah. Where was she from? She was English as well. <laughs> I have a theory. See, I have a theory, girl. There's there's a recurring theme here. She I, was lovely, but what I feel oh, is they that, often are lovely, but they're not doing their jobs properly. I think they were all scared about giving the label. Because I remember as I was leaving, the nurses were like, you know, you don't have to tell anybody you were here. Don't look back. Just go. And like, you know, just don't tell anybody. Like, just live your life. And I was just like, no, because this is something that if I'd known sooner, would I have ended up in this situation? Do you know what I mean? And would I have managed my life a lot differently? Yeah. Yeah. And there's been people around me that have, I've heard, have been sectioned, been in hospitals in my family. No one speaks about it. So I'm like, yeah. I don't want that anymore because I'm going to actually explore and understand this because it can't just keep happening. I'm not going to have this happen to me again. Yeah. I need to, you know, and I'm not ashamed of it because now, it, you know, it all makes sense. I feel like the, the, having that bipolar made sense for me. Yes, yes. Now I had a definition for my experiences. I can then address them, yeah. you know? Yeah. And then I'm like, okay, so you're saying I don't have bipolar, but I still need my medication. Mm. And the medication was, it, it's working, yeah. right? Yeah, it was. It, she, yes, the thing she, it just made me sleep. It's the it's the going without sleep, the lack of sleep that's the most dangerous. Yes. Well, yeah. Okay. So that's what helps keep it under control. No therapy is gonna make your brain go to sleep in mania. Like mm. it's going to. But work. obviously, like it's it's also. I think psychotherapy is great, but like bipolar is also a chemical imbalance. There's nothing you can do about yeah. it. It's just the biochemistry of your brain. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I really want to explore, obviously, I know, like, obviously you're African like me. I, and I, I'm really interested in, you, you know, you even mentioned like, you know, you know, no, no people who've been sectioned, like people, or, or you've heard stories and there is a massive taboo around mental health. And I feel like there's even a more, like, there's such a massive taboo around bipolar, like, especially yeah. because of films and media. I remember like EastEnders, like doing some really... <laughs> problematic storylines to do with bipolar. I, I haven't watched them still because I would hear people saying, "Oh, you hear about Stacey and I was like, it's, "She's it's, now a freak." Like it, that it, was it paints, it paints people um, with uh, BD as like to be almost like murderous, um, dangerous, incredibly. Da- it 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 paints yeah. them to be very dangerous. Yeah, and, like taking taking into account the fact that even white people don't understand bipolar how did like the african side of your like that that family side of you how do how are they receptive or how did they deal with your mental health issues oh i would say my household people that actually saw my state and Mm. understood everything that led to it were very understanding and it was kind of they're very supportive, but at the same time, there was still that belief that 
it's curable, um, which is, oh, just my mum was very... Yeah, go to church. Why don't you come? And why are you still taking this medication? When are you going to stop taking it? Like it was kind of that. Yeah. Whereas my dad was like, "There's no way. Like you can't tell her to stop because the thing is, if you just stop your meds, you relapse. You catch the risk of you relapsing straight away. Like, and they always kept telling me. Doctors would tell me it will be worse than your first episode. Mm. (laughs) I was like, I do not think I could go through that once more time like one more time mm. um so i would listen to that advice mm. and then my gp who was asian his was like because i was like i'm you know i'm in therapy i've come out of hospital maybe it was maybe a f- couple months four or five months afterwards can i go back to work am i okay to go back to work and things like that mm. and he's like, yeah you should go to work stop talking to all these people stop talking to these nurses and i was just like huh <laughs> There's a there's a there's a balance, you know. We can balance things, you know. Why are you talking to all these people? Because in his head is like, ah, oh, this is how people. I think he feels that people use this excuse to stay in unemployment. Yeah, I don't know, but that's the vibe he gave. Yeah, me. yeah, that is the vibe I'm getting. Yeah, and I'm just like, no, I'm gonna do hard. Okay, I'll find a job, but I'm gonna stay. Do you know how mad it is that you I- are having to? Oh. The fact is, this Africa that you are having to take uh, to take action on how you have to deal with your health. You've had so many pieces of bad advice, and yes. you have had to sit down and decide. Okay, this is how I'm going to navigate this. You, the patient, now it doesn't This is the whole thing. The whole experience till this day is you. You're the one who has to be like, this is the medication I want, even though you don't know anything about it. Mm. Like. It's just so unfortunate. And I was saying to my nurse, I was like, this is not fair because someone has cancer. They're not, the onus is not on them for their treatment. Do you know what I mean? This, it's just different. It's, it's really hard. Can we circle back to the thing about the just pray thing? Because, yeah. um, I mean, everyone, most people know that I'm a Christian, but I really, (laughs) (laughs) okay. I, I think about it this way. Yeah yeah when 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 i touch water i'm not touching water i'm touching the molecules that make up water and if Mm -hmm. we believe right in genesis that god made water he didn't make the water he made the molecules that made the water so we're dealing with uh, a a god who everyone says oh you're all powerful okay he's also a scientist then surely Mm -hmm. he understands how to make fire and he knows how to make light so why if someone is dealing with a scientific brain, right, why would he not give people a gift to use that? We live in a broken planet. So yeah. no one's going to tell someone who's, um, and it's a Pentecostal African problem. And I've seen it with, with family members myself where, I'm not going to lie, if, if someone has cancer, no one says, oh, stop going to uh, chemotherapy, let's go to church. They, they actually don't say that. They say, oh, we'll come and visit you in hospital and we'll pray for you in hospital. They'll meet you there, okay? Oh, that's it. So the prayer can meet you in the hospital room, yeah? But if someone now has a mental health issue, all of a sudden they now have to stop taking their medication. Why don't you meet me here? Meet me as I'm taking the medication. Pray for me. Why? Do you know what I mean? It doesn't have to be one or the other. That's the problem. Is that, and this is what I was saying. When I was, I was very much in my faith at the time. I had very, one of the characteristics of bipolar or borderline disorder is having black and white thinking. Either this or either that. And I was very much like that. 
with my Christianity as well, which wasn't healthy. Um, so I've, I've had to rethink the way I will approach life now because of this condition. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, uh, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, overall, it does sound like your family are really supportive. I, yeah. I, I'm, I really wanted to ask, yeah. in terms of like social media and talking about um, BD, like h- how have you found sharing your story online? Has it been um, healthy for you? Has it been cathartic for you? Or has it has there been backlash or just trolls, whatever? I would say 100% there's been no trolls. Oh, that's amazing. I'm really grateful and glad for that. I think the first time I uploaded it, I knew it was a fake troll because within seconds they posted something and I'll click their page and that's what they do for a living. Like (laughs) their page is just a trolling page. And I think I guess from my title of my video, Bipolar, he must have known what it was and he was like, oh, nobody cares. And I was like, I know this is a robot because ha- you haven't watched it. It's literally just touched the internet. Anyways, but that was that. So that's the only reason I monitored the comments. Because I was like, am I going to get more of these robot things? But from everything that's been commented and the response has been, I can just say 110% positive. I haven't had any one person at the time anyway say anything about it. And I felt like <laughs> I felt like I needed to, it was cathartic cathartic can I say yeah 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 cathartic for me at the time and you know I waited two years after being leaving hospital to do that yeah because everyone was like oh don't tell anybody there's a lot of like secrecy around and I still felt it was okay so I thought maybe when I'm okay I'll see the danger (laughs) of talking about it but I just didn't it was Mm. two years later and I still felt the same I felt like you look this is this has to be priority in my life like if you know you want to know me and understand me, you need to know this. Like this is what I need to share and be mm. open about. And then and I remember, okay, there was a family member I think I had an argument with, and she was kind of distant. It's she, always a distant auntie. It's always those ones. Always, auntie. always. So she saw everything on Facebook, all that behavior I was doing, not said a word to me. Never said, are you okay? Nothing, whatever. So one time we had an argument, right? Mm. With her. Like, I don't even want to call her like auntie. She was kind of like an older sister almost to me, right? And we had an argument and she texted me. She said something like, oh, next time you're sane, then reply to me or something like that. Excuse me? Yeah, yeah. She said something along them lines. So for me, it hurt. It's on site. It's on site. <laughs> um- <laughs> if I see her literally it's a problem but that was also fuel for me I guess for the fire to kind of be like so you watched me crumble Mm. and now you think you can use that against me or say something like that like you don't even know half or a drop of what it was or what happened to me I just felt so, like, I don't even know. I can't even put into words how I feel, even thinking about her to say something like that to me. Yeah. You know? So I was just like, I have something to prove to people. Like, um, and then, yeah, I can get on to the times I felt it was negative, but it was nothing so much about the mental health aspect of it. Mm. It was about talking about the sexual assault. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of, like, 
dating and like yeah I don't want to go into the sexual assault too much because obviously that's triggering but in terms of dating and not even to do with that but like just dating as a normal girl how do you deal with that and the mental health aspect because dating actually can be mentally very stressful actually it is it is and I this is the thing I think I don't put myself out there enough because of it because I am I'm just like I cannot do this <laughs> what, what, what's your fear is it like that people will judge not necessarily judge because if you're gonna judge me then you're not for me it's mm-hmm. fine but um I'm scared of just being triggered in the sense where someone again misuses my trust or mm. things like that um I feel like now, I know you said, how do I feel at first when I shared my story, but I feel like I'm at a phase now. I don't feel as comfortable talking about it. Mm. I don't want to say, I I feel weird. I, I pause a little bit when I have to talk about it because it's just like, I feel the first time I'm actually grieving that it happened to me. Mm. Yeah. Are we, are I, we talking about the sexual assault or, or, or your mental health? All of it, yeah. Mm-hmm. The sexual assault and the fact that I went to hospital, like, mm-hmm. health, like that really happened. Why did that have to happen to me? Because initially I felt in survival mode to get out of it. I start, I believed that it was not meant to happen, but whatever happens to me, like God will never let anything happen to me that wasn't supposed to happen, you know? And I felt like if I didn't have this experience, I wouldn't have, you know... I wouldn't have the support that I, I got from mm, there. Yeah. And it, it's bettered my relationships, I feel, with my family and things like that. Um, but now, I don't know, now I'm in a bit of limbo, a bit like, did I really have to go through that hell just to be, I don't know, content with myself mm. and understanding of myself? Like, mm. I, didn't really, I didn't really have to go that far. You know, you didn't have to go. (laughs) That's what it is like. Even me as like a victim of um, like child molestation. Sometimes I'm like, sometimes, especially some other Christians, they'll be like, oh, well, you know, everything happens for a reason. It's like Mm -hmm. I was molested for five years. Like that wasn't meant to happen to me. But like we live in a planet where everyone gets to choose what they want to do. Do you know what I mean? Even as a Christian, I can't, God's not going to come down and make me do something good or make me do something bad. I'm the one who decides to do what I want to do. And yeah. so when, when we live on a planet where people take other people for, um, take advantage of other people, yeah, it, it puts mm-hmm. in a position where it's like, that wasn't meant to be, but now I have to figure out, okay, how am I going to heal from this? And, yeah. and I think also we have to talk ourselves out of being like, oh, I, I need to, something good needs to come out of this. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I used to be like, oh, like, if I talk about it, then at least something good will happen. It's like, I don't owe, I don't owe anyone something from my pain. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. And I think that's where I've come to as well. Initially, I was like, yeah, I'm going to save the world with my pain. I'm going to help everyone. And for the first time I've had to learn, I need to help myself. Yeah. And really, like, sometimes pain has no purpose you know it's just it's just a really messed up thing that somebody decided to do yeah yeah so I'm I'm grieving that (laughs) so like 
so yeah. in terms of like therapy because I know you mentioned that you have a, a therapist do you like ha, did you guys talk about your assault and are you guys like working through that my first therapist I, I said to her I'm not going to talk about it okay because yeah because I felt like it led me to the hospital mm. <laughs> all I did when it happened was talk about it and I, I was really surprised that I even hen- end up in hospital because I was like I'm supposed I'm doing the right things I'm like I'm not keeping everything to myself mm. like I had friend two friends that were great like we'll talk about it but the thing is now I realize I'll speak about it every day every single day mm. and I didn't realize that's how some people deal with trauma like they just talk about it all the time 